Hi, I'm Chris Klink, and you're listening to my Writing Table Podcast. Today, we're talking to Lynn Liao Butler, debut author of The Tiger Mom's Tale. Born in Taiwan, Lynn has had many careers, concert pianist, professional dancer, business owner, personal trainer, fitness and yoga instructor, purse designer, and now author. Lynn's mother was not a tiger mom. Lynn came about her overachieving all on her own. Welcome to the podcast, Lynn. Thank you. Lynn, you are a renaissance woman if I ever met one, and it doesn't sound like you needed a tiger mom to prompt your success. You've done quite well. Um, Can you tell me a bit about the mother in your book compared to your own mom? Um, well, so we don't really know who the tiger mom is in the book when the book opens. Um, that was one of the reasons why my editor did not want to have the word tiger mom in the title, but then, um, she ended up putting it. So the tiger mom that's in my book is someone who has always pushed her child, even from like, I think six, seven years old, like really young age, just wants her to do well. It's always like no friends, you know, friends are a distraction you need to focus on your work. You need to get into medical school, even though she was like, you know, eight or seven or nine. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, she has to do like in Taiwan, they have these things called bushi ban, which is like um, cram school, they call it, where after school, they go to special classes, tutorings, um, that kind of stuff. So she was always pushing her into these classes. So basically being a tiger mom, like saying school is the most important thing. You need to be well-rounded to get into medical school. My mom was the opposite of that, thank goodness. <laughs> Never uh, pushed us to do anything we didn't want to. So she, if we wanted to do something, she supported it, even though it wasn't academic. You know, I wanted to dance. She put me in dance class. Um, I wanted to play a piano, so she got me piano lessons, but she was never pushy. Always said, you know, just do the best you can. Um, so she was definitely not a tiger mom. How funny. I just got done watching um, the master class with Amy Tan, and she was talking about the Joy Luck Club, and that's what it reminds me of is the piano lessons and that. Yeah, no, I think I'm more of a tiger mom than she is, I think. <laughs> What made you jump into writing fiction? So I don't know if you know, but I was a professional ballet and modern dancer in New York City um, for most of my 20s and 30s. And then I was also a personal trainer, fitness instructor, and yoga instructor because life in the city is really expensive. So I had to have another job. But we moved away from New York City about eight years ago, I think. And when we moved up here, it was only like an hour north of New York City. Everybody wanted to know what I was doing in the country. So I started a blog just to keep my friends in New York City and around the world to let them know what I was doing up here. And those blog posts got really popular with you know my family. And just one day, I think it was like 2015, the new year started. And I remember January 1st, I thought, you know, I'm going to write a book. I'm just going to put all these blog posts and make it into a book. And I just like, I had never taken a writing class before, except for, you know, in high school or college. And I just decided, oh, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> and I did. I wrote a book in six months. And then I started querying it without knowing anything about querying. Nobody had ever read the book. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes, you know, a new writer would ever make. But yeah, that's how I started. <laughs> Is that the Tiger Mom's Tale? Nope. That was called Fit Girls Don't Cry. And it was a version of the Tiger Mom's Tale. That book, I actually queried without anybody reading it. And it did get like five agent requests, which now I cringe to think about. And then I finally wised up and realized I needed critique partners. I needed people to actually read the book and give you know feedback. I joined critique groups and wrote a second book called, I think it was called Her Little Secret. Got a lot of agent responses, but didn't sign with anybody. And then I 
thought of that first book I wrote and I was like, you know what? I want to keep all the same characters, but completely change the plot. And so I went back and completely revised that first book. It's like a whole new book. It's not even the same. It just has the same characters. And that became The Tiger Mom's Tale. And that's the book that got me an agent. So it took three and a half years and three books in order to sign with an agent. Your main character, Lexa Thomas, as you put it, has never quite fit in. Who or what inspired her? I was born in Taiwan. Um, we moved here when I was seven. So I basically grew up here, but you know, with a very strong Taiwanese background. I still speak Taiwanese and Mandarin and you know, remember a lot of the custom from Taiwan. So I've always looked Asian on the outside, but felt American on the inside. Um, and so people who don't know me expect me to behave a certain way, seeing that I'm Asian. Whereas with my Taiwanese family, I always feel like I have to hide my American side because it didn't jive with the Taiwanese culture or the Taiwanese way of thinking. So I've always felt like I didn't quite fit in. So if when I go to Taiwan, everybody called me the American cousin and think that we're so foreign. <laughs> and when I'm here, I look Asian. And, you know, as you know, in America, sometimes that's not always the best thing. That's where Alexa came from. She's actually half white, half Taiwanese. I'm not halfway. I'm 100% Taiwanese, but I felt the way she did where like she looked Asian on the outside, but she was white or American on the inside. So that's where that inspiration came from. Oh, that's really interesting. Since you're from Taiwan, what kind of research did you have to do for the Tiger Mom's Tale? Um, so I hadn't been back in Taiwan in a very long time. Like I think the last time was before I went back to do research for this book was like 15 years ago. So when I um, started to rewrite the book, I had wanted to take my son and my husband back to Taiwan at some point. So my mom and I planned a trip and we went back, I think this was like three years ago, um, and, you know, introduced my husband and son to the family there and, you know, walked around just to research. I said it in Taizong, which is where I was born. So we stayed there. We went to all the sites, went to the night markets. We ate, basically ate our way through two weeks in Taiwan to the point where my uh, husband said to me, is this all you do in Taiwan is eat? And I was like, yes, that's basically what you do when you go to Taiwan. I didn't want to see the sites. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I've seen temples. I just wanted to eat because the food there is so good. Like people here in America don't realize how good Taiwanese food is because th there is no Taiwanese food really. A lot of the food made it into my book. I actually didn't mean to do that. The book wasn't supposed to be about food. Every person who has read it and reviewed it has mentioned the food in it. And I realized that in order to write about a Taiwanese culture, you have to mention the food because they're so like hand in hand. I'm a foodie, so I'm gonna have to bug you for some recipes. Oh yeah, it's so good. <laughs> my actually, my um, publisher Berkeley is putting together um, like a whole food series. I think online recipe cards, and then they've had my mom and dad like videotape making certain Taiwanese foods with them. So they're really focusing on that too. You and I met through Women's Fiction Writing Association in the retreats, and I recall your path to publication had hit a speed bump when the lockdown happened. My book was actually bought in, I think it was July of 2019, and we were hoping it would come out either in the beginning of 2020 or spring, and I think I eventually had an April date. And then the lockdown happened, and as everybody knows, all the new debut books kind of got like either pushed back or... Um, people got, you know, moved around. And then, you know, we all, there was also the whole anti-Asian sentiment in um, America that was running really rampant at the time. So everything just kind of stopped. Um, nobody's oh, wow. fault. It was just because of the lockdown. It's because of right, right. You know, a lot of books from 2020 
2020 were getting pushed into 2021. And then my, my book got kept getting pushed back. I think it even got pushed back to August 2021, but then they moved it back up to July. So there was a time probably like during the pandemic where nothing was happening just because, you know, everybody was stalled. And it was, it was kind of hard because I wasn't, I was trying to write book three because book two was already written um, when I sold this book. So I was trying to write book three, but then the whole pandemic happened, homeschooling happened. I had a seven-year-old at the time and you cannot write a book with a seven-year-old homeschooled. (laughs) Like stuck to you like glue for 24 hours a day. Like literally we were stuck together for like three months. Um, So I gave up. I didn't even try to write because it was not happening. The only way I could write was if I put it in front of the TV, but he likes (laughs) British shows. And I was writing a book based in Hawaii and my Hawaiian character started talking with British accent saying, that's cheeky, mummy, and that's brilliant. <laughs> and I was like, all right, no, this is not working. So I put it away. I didn't even bother trying to write. So 2020 was like a lost year, I felt like. Yeah, I yeah. agree. <laughs> my children are grown. And when I tried to write years ago, when my kids were younger, I never finished a manuscript. I mean, I and they weren't homeschooled at the time. They were just busy kids. And, right. and so I cannot imagine how anyone got anything written last year with kids at home. You talked about Hawaii. I have to ask you about your recent writing retreat to Kauai. Because you've made us all, all the writers are just drooling at the pictures going, how did she do this? <laughs> I have to say that was the best idea I've ever had. <laughs> it was, so we were stuck in, in lockdown for, you know, basically 2020 all year, which wasn't so bad in the summer because we live on a lake in um, the suburbs of New York City. So our backyard is the lake. So we were able to go paddleboarding, swimming, you know, right, right here. So it wasn't that bad. But then, you know, with the snow hit, we were getting stir crazy. And my third book, which I have based in Kauai, is about a a family that a Taiwanese family, well, half Taiwanese, half Irish, who moves to Kauai and about like a mystery that takes place there. And I knew I needed to go to do research because I've been to Kauai many times, but I hadn't been there recently. And I was supposed to go during the pandemic, but that didn't happen. So when we knew we were going to be basically locked down for the winter, I just kind of randomly one day went online to search like housing and, you know, Airbnb and found all these, found this like really cheap duplex. And it was way below what it should have been. It's because nobody was going there. Kauai is also one of the safest places to be in the U.S. because they had made it so strict, like um, even stricter than the other Hawaiian islands to come in. We were like, if we're going to go, maybe we should just stay six to eight months and just, you know, make it worth our while. And it took a lot of work. The guidelines to come in kept changing. So Mm -hmm. we booked it and the airlines were flexible. You could change with no fees. The Airbnb people were being flexible. And like right up until we left on July 18th and right up until we left, we still weren't sure if it was going to happen. But on January, I'm sorry, we left on January 18th, not July. And on January 15th, they changed their requirements and you only had to quarantine three days in a resort bubble. You had to wear like a bracelet, like you were on house arrest um, and, or they'd come and chase you down. But on the fourth day, you're allowed to test out. So that's what we did. We um, went there, we quarantined for three days, like a prisoner with a bracelet on. And then we tested out and then it was the best thing I have ever done. I finished book three. And I also got 115 pages into book four. Wow. I was so inspired there um, that I came up with this idea for a YA book. I, I, I don't write YA. I'm not a YA writer, but I just this <laughs> idea just came to me while I was like drinking Mai Tais one day or something. And I pitched it to my agent and she loved it so much. 
And like literally, I think I pitched it to her on February 11th, gave her a synopsis on February 25th. She gave me the go ahead to write. I started it on March 6th. And it's so yeah, this earlier this month, and I've already gotten like 135 pages of it. Like being in warm weather, there was almost no people there when we first got there. We were just chilling out. There was no stress. I loved my sewing machine. So I was still sewing for my Etsy shop. Um, so that was paying for all the Mai Tais and the you know, dinners out. I was teaching yoga and fitness classes virtually. So I was still working and staying in shape. And then I was just writing. I mean, we had to homeschool our, our child, but if I had to homeschool anywhere, I would pick Hawaii. <laughs> How long were you there? Three months? Um, I was there two months. My um, husband and son were there for six weeks. So they left before me and I had two weeks left by myself as a writing retreat. And it was like, seriously, I got so much writing that it made up for 2020. Boy, maybe we need to talk to the Women's Fiction Writers Association, <laughs> a Kauai retreat. <laughs> I know, definitely. It was so good. It was such the best thing I ever did. So tell us about your typical writing day and how it compared in New York versus Kauai. Um, I actually don't have a typical writing day. I only write when um, I know what I'm going to write. So I don't sit down at a computer every day. I do a lot of what I call percolating. Like I think about ideas. So while, while I'm sewing, you know, getting teaching class or whatever, taking care of my child, I'm working through like plot twists and character development and stuff in my head. So that when I do sit down to write, the words just kind of flow. I don't ever have writer's block because I don't force myself to sit every day. I mean, I go like, like 2020, I went an almost an entire year without writing a single word. Um, wow. and I've gone like days, weeks without writing anything. But then when I do write, it just kind of comes out. So I kind of save it like Kauai, like it was so inspirational. So I sat down, wrote every single day, like. I think I was writing between 2,000 to 3,000 words a day. Since I came back, I've been mostly editing because I got edits for book two. And so I was working on that and also working on the fourth book with my agent. Every day is like different. And I don't beat myself up about it if I don't write, if I don't put anything on pen to paper or type anything out. Well, aren't you glad you had that time to be creative? You know, when your edits come, you're basically working with the mechanics of your work. And so to have had that time where you can just kind of free write. And I mean, I know you had a plan. You, know, you talked about when you figured out that you needed other people to read your work. Can you tell us how these relationships with other authors made an impact on your work? I have to say, I would not be surviving this publication journey without the other writers. Not only do you need them for critiques and you know to share work with and learn from, but you also need them to commiserate because this publication journey is probably one of the most like stressful torturous like you need so much patience because everything takes so long everything's so slow without my writing friends at every step like I had a writing group um, when I was querying I had a group where we were on sub and now we have group um, we call ourselves the Berklets which is um, Berkeley debuts that are coming out this year in early 2022 yeah so we actually hashtagged ourselves and called us ourselves the Berklets to the point where our editors are now referring to us as a, as a Berklitz. I keep getting emails from, oh, we're going to go with this, you know, Berklitz idea. So it's, it's been <laughs> great because, you know, you can talk out the angst of like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. Why is this happening to me? Or share good things. You know, we help each other to like calm each other down. Like, don't worry. That's, you know, whatever. It's like they, they say you should have people that you can go to the complaint about whatever's happening without going public about it because you don't want to, you know, put negative things out in social media. Like some people tend to do that. You want someone you can like, you know, like commiserate with you about 
either how slow it's going or negative reviews or, you know, this isn't working or my agent didn't like this idea or my editor, you know, took out a part I love. Just stuff that you can talk to with someone who understands. My friends in real life are very supportive, but they don't understand the writing. So to have those people like in your corner who know exactly what you're talking about, who get you, is so important every step. And then I also love groups like the Women's Fiction Writers Association because we have a group specifically of people who are writing the same genre and we can, you know, help each other out, whether it's like answering questions for newer writers who don't know what it's like later on, or just, you know, finding support among people who are maybe at the same place you are in the path. So, I mean, it's, I highly recommend it. Like find, find your people, whether it's a genre the, you know, the step that you're in, whatever it is, just find your people. When you decided I need to find a critique partner, where did you go? The first thing I did was I joined um, two critique groups, one in New York City and one up here in the suburbs. I just found them on Meetup. I just went, you know, looked at okay, local. Meetup. Yeah. So I went to like local critique groups um, and I found one, two of them. So I joined that and those people were my first critique partners or like first people I've ever, ever read anything that I wrote. And then after that, I joined, I finally went on Twitter. I've had an account for years, but I didn't know what Twitter was. I thought they were called twits. I'm like, why do I want a twit? Nobody cares about my twits. Um, and then I finally realized that there was like a huge writing community on Twitter. And yeah. just by getting on there, at first, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I just kind of stalked the Twitter feeds and was reading, you know, other writers. I actually kind of, I think I jumped into a couple of conversations with editors and agents that I had no idea. And they were, you know, like editors at a big five and just like jumped in and said stupid things like, oh, I would love to be a panda with you or something. Like, <laughs> <that made> those- <laughs> like I cringe now thinking about how I just like jumped into their private conversation. So it took me a while to learn, but I found my critique partner on Twitter. She was, um, she is a writer from Germany. She used to be live in the U.S. and moved to Germany for her husband's work. And then we started just exchanging work. And she told me about a lot of contests and stuff like I didn't even know about that you can win critique. She told me about Women's Fiction Writers Association. And then from there, I just started to make more and more writer friends. And I mean, that's where it all came from. It was really Twitter. Among the writing community, it's amazing how, you know, I've worked with some really generous people who are very supportive, but I've never been in a situation where people you've never met are so incredibly generous with their time and they care. And I I don't know, it's, it's wild. You've got a lot going on. So when you're not teaching yoga, designing purses, sewing purses, writing fiction, you're a mom and a wife. So like, how do you find time for it all? Yeah. I mean, that I have to say that I am at a place in my life right now that all those things are balanced out. Like if I, let's say I, you know, win the lottery tomorrow and I have all this money in the world and I could do whatever I want, I would still be doing exactly what I'm doing right now. And that's when I know that I found my place in my life because I I'm writing, which makes me happy. I teach yoga and fitness, which is a very great balance from writing. Just, you know, we spend so much time punch over a computer or, you know, whatever, to be able to get up and move my body. To, so I'm keeping myself physically healthy while I'm making friends with the people I teach, whether it's in person or mostly online, like I'm doing now. And then my sewing is like meditation to me. I can't meditate. I'm like the type A, like go, go, go kind of person, but sewing at night. So when my son goes to bed, I get on my sewing machine. It's like meditation. It's like mindless work that I can think about, you know, what happened that day. I can think about what I'm writing, just, you know, anything. I just mindlessly sew and it's really meditation. So it's like kind of, um, 
like a mental break. Is there one piece of advice you followed along your writing journey that you would share with new writers? Yeah, keep an open mind and just keep writing because I almost gave up after that second book did not pick up an agent. I actually stopped. I said, you know what? This is stupid. I'm not writing anymore. Um, I don't, I didn't tell any of my friends I was writing because it felt like a dirty secret just because, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't making money. I, I did tell my husband cause I didn't want him to think I was having an affair when I was like, hold up somewhere writing. Um, I, you know, I used to disappear on Saturdays to New York city to go to the critique meetings, but I wouldn't tell my friends and they'd be like, why do you go to the city on a Saturday? So I was, you know, lying and like making, and so I gave up, I stopped writing because I was like, I can't do this anymore. And then, you know, that idea came to rewrite book one. And I realized that I, I wanted to write that even if nothing happened, I wanted to write. So if you really enjoy writing and you want to write, keep an open mind, keep learning. I mean, I learned every day from reading, talking to other writers, just keep an open mind and just keep doing it because everybody's path is different. So whatever's going to happen for you will happen if you don't give up. If you'd like to learn more about Lynn or the Tiger Mom's Tale, go to Lynn's website at lynnlialbetler.com or find her on Instagram. Music by Pavel Yudin and photography by Casey Meineke. If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button and consider leaving a review. 